really not fair that I have to preach after that. Thank you. And thank you for getting for annoying your daughters long enough that they decided they wanted to bless you with that this morning. Bless all of us with that this morning. He's alive. He's he's alive. Jesus is the promised Savior of the world, and his resurrection is the evidence of that. We already heard the story of of the resurrection this morning. We heard the the story of of these women, these faithful women, going to the tomb and finding it empty. The story of these faithful women coming back to the apostles and to the other disciples, telling them what they had seen and being met with skepticism. There's a young woman who is the head of the Humanist of United Kingdom organization who has an interesting Twitter presence. And she tweeted this morning, just a reminder, dead people don't come back to life. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. And the disciples had a hard time figuring it out. They heard it. It was nonsense. It didn't, it didn't compute. It didn't click. They couldn't figure it out. And so the story in Luke continues. And we're going to continue in Luke chapter 24 today, hearing about this encounter between two disciples and the risen, resurrected Lord on the road to Emmaus. So we are in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to be starting with verse 13. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Now, that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you were walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that these prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. 
They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he was reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up, returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those that were gathered with them who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God. Read it. Believe it and live it. Let us pray. Dear gracious and merciful God, as we continue to celebrate your resurrection this morning, as we continue to worship you, as we continue to to seek you, to have you walk with us, as we turn to the study of your word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. may be seated. The Old Testament and the New Testament all tell one story. The Old Testament and the New Testament all tell one story. Sometimes we are inclined to think that there are two different stories here. There's the story of God's people before Jesus, and there's the story of God's people after Jesus. But this is all one story. It's the story of God's people. And so on this road to Emmaus, in this this walking of a few miles, we find a Jesus that has not only been crucified, but now has been crucified. Raised from the dead. You know, these, these two traveling disciples aren't, aren't sure what to believe about the woman's report that Jesus is alive. They've had these, these women come into their presence and proclaim, he's, he's alive. And they don't know what to make of it. They don't under, understand it. I want us to note a couple of things about these disciples. First of all, they're not part of the, they're not one, they're not the apostles. They're not part of the eleven. These are other disciples who have, who have been following Jesus and who were there in Jerusalem with him. I think sometimes we, we get so focused on the, on the twelve that we forget that there's this other group that's been, that's been with him. And, and this is who these people are. We have the name of one of them, Cleopas, and we don't know who the other one is. Some speculate that because they were traveling together, it's a it's potential that, that it put have, could have been Cleopas' wife that was with him. But we, we don't know. And so as we see them on this road to Emmaus, as, as Jesus comes upon them, they're discussing everything that has been happening and all of the recent events, and they're, and they're upset about it. After Jesus asks them, in, in 24.17, he says, he says, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. 
You, you know that look, right? You've, you've experienced that, that look. Discouraged. They're, they're not just talking about these things. They're, they're, they're experiencing them in a very real way. And they're discouraged. But see, what happens is Jesus comes alongside them and Jesus' question, Jesus' question prompts them to explain the meaning of their sadness. But Jesus' question also opens the door to challenge it. Jesus' question allows them to express what's happening inside, to have that conversation, but it also opens this door that's going to allow Jesus to challenge them on their assumptions. And so Jesus takes their description of the events that have just happened over the last several days, and, and, and he then uses that to to show their misunderstanding. He uses their description to show them that they've they've missed it. And so he starts with Scripture. And he reminds them that Scripture is the source that they should have looked to, that they, they should have ascertained that the Messiah's death was promised, and that it's also not the end of the story. This this event that happens on the road to Emmaus is a Jesus-led, systematic Bible study. I would really like to have been there. To have Jesus sit there and from the beginning of Scripture to the end explain God's movement, God's story, wow, that would have been an experience. He says that he takes Moses and all of the prophets and it, and it starts there. But, but see, he's using all of Scripture to show where he is in the story. Because all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. All of the Old Testament has laid out the promise of a Messiah, of a Savior, of a Redeemer. You know, Luke, Luke doesn't give us any indication which passages Jesus chooses. But he makes it clear that the whole Old Testament was involved. He does the same thing in Acts. We looked relatively recently, we looked at this story of, of, of the, 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 the Ethiopian eunuch after Pentecost, and he's leaving, and Philip's encounter with him. And the same thing happens. Philip starts in one spot in Scripture, but uses all of Scripture to explain. And I have to wonder if now, you know, 40 days later, more over 40 days later, if, if these two, when they go back to Jerusalem, they give everybody else the Bible study. Is Philip giving to the Ethiopian eunuch the, the same Bible study that Jesus is giving to Cleopas and his companion. But see, what's made clear is that the whole of the Old Testament is involved. Because throughout the whole Old Testament, there's a constant, consistent divine purpose that's being worked out. A purpose that in the end meant and must mean the cross. The terribleness of sin is found throughout 
the Old Testament. But also, we find the deep, deep love of God. And in the end, this combination of the terribleness of sin and the deep, deep love of God makes the cross, makes Calvary inevitable. And if these two, if these two, they had these wrong ideas about the Old Testament, and so they had wrong ideas about the cross. They didn't understand what Scripture was was saying, and so they misunderstood the cross. And they were dejected and downhearted and discouraged. Because, see, that's what happens. If we don't understand what Scripture, and in particular the Old Testament, is teaching us, then we can misunderstand the passion and the resurrection of Jesus. If we miss the description of the plan, we miss the plan's fulfillment. And that's what this is. This is God's unfolding plan that has come to fruition. There's this idea that I think, I think a lot of people outside of the faith, and I think even people inside the faith, have of the Old Testament. And they think that it's this wonderful, perhaps wise collection of Bronze Age stories about a particular ethno-religious group. And, and wisdom can be found in them, and truth can be found in them, but in the end of the day, it's just this collection of stories that these people told about themselves. Rather, I would say that Scripture is the record of God's unfolding plan for the redemption of all creation. Not a mere collection of stories, however much wisdom is found in them. Not a a people's talking about themselves. But God's description of what God was up to. And His plan for redemption for all creation. The walkers to Emmaus, Cleopas and his companion, had thought that God's story was about how he was going to redeem his people from suffering. They thought that God's story was how he was going to redeem his people from, from suffering. But instead, what God's plan is, is God's plan was to redeem through suffering. In particular, the suffering of the Messiah on the cross. You know, what's not happening here is Jesus works through, as Jesus describes Scripture and goes through point by point with these two folks, what He's not doing is taking a verse here and taking a verse here and sort of cherry-picking or what we might call proof-texting. He's showing them the whole story of Scripture from Genesis through Malachi. From the very beginning to the very end. And He shows how it points to a fulfillment, a healing, and a restoration that can only occur when God's anointed, who had to be God incarnate, God in the flesh, took on the suffering and sin of the world and died under its weight and punishment and then rose again as the beginning of God's new creation. 
the beginning of God's new people. This is the promise that has been fulfilled. This is what Scripture points to. We should be able to read the Old Testament and see Jesus all over it. It's all about Jesus. Not too long after I got here, we moved some of our Sunday school classes into a new curriculum, into this curriculum called the Gospel Story. And one of the reasons for that, one of the reasons for that was so that we would have parents and kids in the same curriculum, and so that they could facilitate those faith conversations with their kids. But one of the other reasons, one of the things that's at the core of the Gospel Story curriculum is the understanding that Gospel Story is not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel Story is found in Genesis through Revelation. That all of Scripture points to Jesus. In fact, all of human history points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all always been about Jesus, even when people didn't realize it. It's all about Jesus now, today, even when people don't understand that and don't see it. We've talked about this before. I've used this expression before that Jesus is the hinge of history. Everything pivots around him. And yes, Jesus is the hinge of history, but the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is the hinge of the hinge. It's the pin that holds the hinge together. All of it is about Jesus. From the moment God breathed life, into us. Until the God moment God brings forth the new heaven and the new earth and they meet together at Zion and we join the celestial choir singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. From that moment to the next, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and the resurrection. See, here's the thing. It'd be easy for us to think that this, that this all-important hinge of history wouldn't care about us. About who we are, about what our needs are. Wouldn't care about whether or not we get it. It would be justified for God to sit there and say, I've given you the story. If you can't figure it out, that's on you. But that's not what the resurrected Jesus does. This this God-man who had given His own life to suffer and die for us, who has risen from the dead for us, is not aloof and separated from us. And I would offer that if He were aloof and separated from us, this wouldn't be good news. It's good news because the story of Emmaus is this example of how Jesus meets us in our despair, in our hurt, in our brokenness, in our pain. How Jesus can meet us there and lead us back to the road of confidence. Cleopas and his companion had had left wherever they were from. We know they're headed to Emmaus. We don't know if they're from Emmaus or if they're from a point further on, but they they were not from Jerusalem. They were followers of Jesus and they had seen and witnessed the events of Holy Week. 
I can't imagine the confidence that surged in them on that Palm Sunday morning when Jesus, taking on the image of the emperor, processed into Jerusalem in a victory parade. And that's, that's going to give you some confidence, right? One of the first things I did after we moved to Fairmont was Audrey and I rode in Gaines Grantham's Model T Ford in the Farmer's Festival Parade. Now, I was not entering Fairmont as a conquering hero. I was merely a doofus riding in the back of a pretty cool car. And let me tell you the confidence that I felt. They have this confidence. That confidence probably grew when Jesus goes into the temple and overturns the tables of the money changers. When he throws them out of the court of Gentiles, saying, no, no, Gentiles deserve a place in my temple too. Not to be crowded out by greed and money lending. As Jesus taught through that week, that confidence built only to be shattered with a kiss and a whip and a crown. and then pierced forever with three nails. And so Jesus comes to these two disciples in their darkest hour, in their confusion, in their hurt, in their pain, and He shows them how it is that He's putting all things back together. How it is that He is the fulfillment of the promise that had been given to their forefathers and their foremothers. The fulfillment of the promise that was extended to Noah. I won't destroy the world with a flood. The fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abram. I will make of you a great nation and you will be a blessing to all peoples. The promises found throughout the prophets, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Amos, and Malachi, and Zechariah, and even all those ones that we never read, like Nahum. Jesus is the answer. And it's trite, and we get so used to saying it, but it's true. We search, and we search, and we search, and we search for the answer. And, and, and we pull up all of the bricks and the junk and the trash that's accumulated in our lives looking for the answer. And all we get is earthworms and cockroaches. Because we're looking in all the wrong places. The answer... The answer for those two disciples, for Cleopas and his companion, as they're walking down the road to Emmaus, as they're trying to figure out and understand what had happened, the answer was Jesus. He's always the answer. You know, we joke that's the Sunday school answer, right? Jesus. Here's the thing. It's true. There's a German theologian in the early to mid-20th century named Karl Barth. Karl Barth was very known. He would go to these universities and a student would stand up very, very proud, very full of himself and say, Herr Barth, I have a question. 
And Bart would answer, Jesus, now what's your question? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the work in our lives. And sometimes, sometimes we need to be reminded of God's work in our lives. Sometimes we're like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, and we need Jesus to come alongside us and to remind us what's happening. And there are things that we can do. There are things that we can do to help us be reminded of God's work in our lives. An answer that some people really like, that I have never found work for me, but it works for a lot of people, is journaling. Journaling. Just simply recording what it is every day that God's doing in your life. And then, and then in those moments, you can look back and you can see what God is doing. What God has done. But there are things that we do as a church to remind us of God's presence. We see the, 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 the foretaste of one of those in the story, right? Jesus breaks the bread. When we gather at the Lord's table, and God willing, we will gather at the Lord's table again soon. And when we gather at the Lord's table and we see that bread broken and we see that cup poured out, it is a reminder of God's work in our lives. Baptism is another reminder of God's work in our lives. That we die and rise again in new life. There's another thing that we can do that we can be reminded of God's work in our lives. And it's something that a lot of us don't do a lot. And it's being anointed. Being anointed with oil. Scripture tells us that, that if someone is, is sick and, and needs prayer and needs healing, that they can go to the elders and request the elders come to them and be anointed and prayed over. See, Messiah means anointed one. And, and when, we, when we go to the elders and when we ask for anointment, we are we are reminding ourselves of who it is that was anointed for us. The Messiah. Christ. Seeing life through the lens of Scripture, of all of Scripture, and letting God tell us His story, no matter how, uh, no matter our difficulty in understanding it, helps us keep focus and look for God's work among us. The two on the road to Emmaus were saddened by what they perceived to be a great loss. They perceived it to be a great loss. But we were hoping that He was the one about to redeem Israel. To redeem God's people. They perceived a great loss. But Jesus comes alongside them, walks with them, and helps them to remember that what had happened, that what appeared to be a loss was in fact the world's greatest gain. Jesus wants to come alongside you and show you and remind you that what is perceived as the greatest loss is in fact the world's greatest gain. Jesus wants to, to heal you and restore you 
and reconcile you and redeem you. But it can only happen when we allow ourselves to encounter the risen Lord. When we allow Him to come alongside of us to bind our wounds, to heal, reclaim, restore, and redeem us. It is Resurrection Sunday. It is a day for us to remember who we are and whose we are. We had a member of this congregation call me this week and ask if at the end of the service I would be willing to, to anoint her for healing because she's been dealing with some health issues. And so I'm going to do that. She's going to come forward as part of the time of invitation. But I'm going to extend it to every person here. If you are in need of healing, and physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, if you've never made the choice to walk with Jesus and you want to make that choice today, if you've walked with Jesus for years and just need to be reminded that you are His, I don't care if the line goes all the way out to Main Street and we're here until 4 o'clock. I will anoint every single one of you and if I run out of oil, someone can go to Food Lion and pick up a bottle. But this time, this hymn of invitation is an opportunity to come and to receive. I will put my mask on because we're going to have to get within six feet of each other. And while I've gotten one of my pokes, I don't get my second poke until tomorrow. But I would encourage you, if you would all feel led by the Spirit of God to come, to come during our hymn of invitation and to receive a blessing that comes not from me, but comes from Jesus, from the Savior who walks with us. Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be hymn number 160, Lo in the Grave He Lay. In case you don't remember that name, that's the one that goes up from the grave He arose. And so now we've hit the two Easter hymns and my day is complete. Because it's not Easter unless we sing Christ the Lord is risen today and up from the grave He arose. But up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. Brothers and sisters, our Savior lives. Our Savior lives so that He can walk with us. So that He can bind our wounds, mind, body, and soul. Our Savior lives because He loves us. Because He loves you. 
I want you to know this morning that if you are here and you are hurting, that it does not matter if you came or did not come to the front. God's blessing goes with you every day. And know that you are prayed for every day. It has been a rough year. But even in the midst of corona, even in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the the, the illness and the things that I'm seeing right now as I look out, we can proclaim the sure and certain truth that the Lord has come, the Lord has risen, and the Lord will come again. Let's pray. Dear gracious God, as we leave this place this morning, 